When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of our match on Sunday against Parma. In part two, we'll check how our competitors did on match day 20. And in part 3, we'll preview the first leg of our Coppa Italia semi-final against Atalanta. So let's start with the game on Sunday. Here's how it went. We have kickoff. It is uh, Parma. You get the game underway. We're in the uh, yellow and uh, blue. Blue and yellow. Napoli in their usual sky blue strip. Now them. Can Napoli create something here? Elmas, we haven't seen much of Elmas either. Elmas going it alone. Elmas! Oh, it's a wonderful effort. And Napoli have the lead. Just that Elmas goal, the highlight of the half. Napoli get the second half underway. It's come kindly to Politano. That's a heavy deflection. And Napoli... Have a second goal. How unlucky for Palmer. That's the final whistle here in uh, Naples. Uh, Napoli have overcome Palmer by two goals to nil. In the end, a fairly easy scoreline for Gattuso's men. As you heard, Napoli won 2 0 on goals from Elif Elmas and Matteo Politano. This was another stressful performance against a team that we should beat with ease. We needed a brilliant solo effort from Elif Elmas to go ahead in the first half. 
that was the only way we were going to score in the half because we could not seem to string together two or three passes. We looked very disjointed. In the second half, we sat back and defended, which was exactly the opposite approach I wanted to see with a 1-0 lead. Parma had more of the ball, but fortunately they lacked the quality to create chances, and the odd time that they did, they lacked the quality to finish them. We finished the match in a 5-4-1, which is about as defensive as you can get, but we got the three points. The match itself was rather dull, there's not much worth remembering from it. What will be remembered is the comments Gattuso made after the match. We'll talk about all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. Parma made two changes compared to our predicted 11. Roberto Diversa lined up in a 4-3-1-2 with Luigi Seppe in goal. Jordan Osorio started over Simone Jacoponi in the centre-back pairing with Ricardo Galliolo. Giuseppe Pezzella started at left-back and new signing Andrea Conti started at right-back. Gaston Brugman started in the centre of the midfield, pushing Yasmin Kurtic out left and Hernani to the bench. Alberto Grassi started on the right side of the midfield. Yuri Kuchka started as the trequartista behind Andreas Cornelius and Gervinho. Napoli had 5 changes compared to our predicted 11 and only 2 changes compared to the squad that started against Spezia midweek. Gattuso stuck with the 4-3-3. David Ospina started over Alex Meret again in goal. Kalidou Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas started at centre-back where we had Maksimovic starting there. Mario Rui got his second consecutive start at left-back, we had Fauzi Goulam starting, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back. Diego Demis started again as the regista over Tiemo Ibakayoko, with Piotr Zelinski and Elif Elmas completing the three-man midfield. Andrea Petania returned to start at striker, so Chucky Lozano moved back to the right wing, and Matteo Politano went back to the bench, and Lorenzo Insigne started on his usual left wing. So those were the starting lineups, next let's revisit our three keys to the match. The first key to the match was we needed to rotate our squad. We did not rotate enough in my opinion, we knew this as soon as we saw the starting lineups. My hope, and perhaps the plan, was that we would build up a big lead in the first half and then change over the squad at the break, but obviously that didn't happen. I know we have a lot of injuries at striker, but I thought we could have rotated other positions. I think we could have started Fauzi Goulam over Mario Rui. Hindsight is 2020, but Mario Rui had a dreadful match. I think we could have started Nikola Maksimovic or Amir Rachmani over Manolas. Manolas had a tough first half, though I think he was much better in the second half. I think we could have started Tiamoy Bakayoko over Diego Deme. Deme looked completely gassed to me. If the logic was that Bakayoko fits better in the 4-2-3-1, then we could have started Stanislav Lobotka over Diego Deme. We may as well get some use out of him after paying such a high price tag. Finally, I think we could have started Matteo Politano over Chucky Lozano. I know Lozano is in top form right now, but we cannot play him every single match when we play every 3-4 to four days. This was one of the two opportunities we had to rest him, with the next opportunity being against Genoa. And what I think people often forget is that starting a player like Lozano on the bench doesn't mean we won't play him at all. If you need to score, you can always bring him off the bench, and he would probably be even more effective with his pace against the tired legs of opposition defenders. The second key to the match was that we needed Koulibaly to shut down Gervinho. 
Koulibaly was excellent as always. Like most of the team, his passing was a little bit off, but defensively he got the job done. Gervinho barely even got a sniff of the goal. Now, in fairness, Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Costas Mano lasted most of the work shutting down Gervinho as he played mostly on Napoli's right side. But Koulibaly often came over to help like in the first half when Gervinho burned Mano last with his turn. His second touch was a bit heavy, which was all Koulibaly needed to slide in to win the ball. And Koulibaly also completely neutralized Andreas Cornelius. The final key to the match was that we needed to play this match from start to finish, and I don't think we did this. I don't think we showed up at all for this match if I'm being honest. I'd say the first half was on the players, and the second half was on Gattuso. I thought we were very sloppy in the first half, our passing really lacked quality, and we conceded possession cheaply time and time again. Even our more reliable players like Libali, Demet, Zielinski, and Insignia played wayward passes. Mario Rui made a number of poor passes, but we're probably not too shocked about that. Manolas made probably the worst pass of them all very early in the half, but Kurtic's weak pass for Gervinho allowed Almas to get back and make the tackle. Finally, David Ospina played a few long balls straight back to Parma. The reason I say Gattuso was to blame in the second half is because he took a very defensive approach. We sat back with a slender 1-0 lead, which is exactly what I feared would happen. We were fortunate that this Padma team is so poor when they did get their chances that their finishing was nowhere near the goal. We saw Cornelius completely miss the target after Mario Rui failed to clear the ball. Later in the half, Conti played a dangerous ball into the area and Kurtic had a free header, but he mistimed his jump and the header went harmlessly wide of the mark. And finally, Conti himself had a chance on the volley from a Galliolo cross, but his shot ended up looking more like a pass as it went straight back into the box. Then Gattuso replaced Elmas with Maksimovic and Mario Rui with LCQ Sai and switched to a 5-4-1. I thought the Jersey Napoli Twitter account hit the nail on the head when he tweeted that we played the second half like a bottom-of-the-table team on the road versus a top-of-the-table team. So while I think the players did play in the second half, Gattuso didn't exactly set them up to play positive football. So we only achieved one of our three keys to the match, but because Parma is so terrible, we were still able to walk away with the three points. Moving on, I want to talk about the formation quickly and then I'll address Gattuso's comments after the match. With respect to the formation, Gattuso stuck with the 4-3-3 that worked against Spezia midweek. It didn't look as good in this match as it did against Spezia, at least in the attacking half. We were very sound at the back. Parma didn't really have any clear-cut chances. The one player that stood out in this match was Elif Elmas. He had an excellent outing and he's only been afforded the opportunity to play because of the change in formation and of course because Fabian Ruiz is still recovering from COVID. I absolutely love the way Elmas plays. He has two qualities that I really like. First, he has quick feet which we saw from him playing for Macedonia in the Nations League and of course we saw it again on the goal in this match. He's a very technical player, and when you combine that with the confidence he has from scoring in back-to-back games, then we started to see what this player can do, like cheeky backheel passes. But the other quality I really like is the intensity that Elmas plays with. I already mentioned that slide tackle he made early in the match, after Manolas gave the ball away. There was also a play in the second half where Lozano played a ball over the top, and a Padma player stepped in front of Elmas, and Elmas just shoved the player out of the way to get the ball, which is a clear foul, but you just love to see the intensity that he plays with. And then later in the half, he had another shot attempt, but it was blocked and went out for a corner. With Gattuso removing Elmas in the 77th minute, I have to think that means that he will feature again midweek against Atalanta. The last thing I want to talk about is Gattuso's comments after the match. 
In case you missed it, let me read you some of the comments Gattuso made, and then I'll break it down a bit and give you my thoughts. He said, I feel at ease when I am at Castel Volturno with the players. I do not feel at ease with what has been happening here in the last few days. I strongly believe in emotions and in what I do, but for a while now, I don't like the air that I breathe. The relationship with the president has always been good. I cannot deny that after the last 15 to 20 days on my part, there is a bit of disappointment for everything that has happened. However, I have great respect. He never made me miss anything. He gave me the opportunity to coach a strong team. And as soon as I asked him for a player, Bakayoko, etc., he bought him for me. Disappointed because I think other coaches have been contacted. I just think the situation was handled badly. That's all I'll say. I am a fair person. Many teams have called me, but I have not spoken to anyone. If I had felt that the team was not following us, it would be better to go home. I want to do my job as I know. When he was asked about his contract, he said, I can also sign for 5-10 to 10 years, but I am tied to emotions and not to contracts. I want to do my job as I know how to do it. Here I am taking slaps left and right every day. It seems that we are in second to last in the standings. In the end, you play around on the web and you read a lot. The players have something left in their heads. I don't read anything because I don't want to hurt myself. I have to work, then maybe I lose two games and I'm up for discussion again but I don't think we can work like this. The Tarantella started a month ago. I hear that I am rude, that I am not well and can no longer train. Maybe they can say I'm incapable, I accept it, but what's going on here is new stuff. If any keyboard fans, given the lockdown, start typing, it's not my problem. However, I have received some heavy words from people who have worked here for many years. They are free offenses and I cannot accept this. Okay, so before I address the specific comments, let me comment on the situation in general. Do I think Gattuso should have spoken so openly? No, probably not. Those comments have only put fuel in the fire. Gattuso mentioned the treatment from the media and on social media and breaking like this because that's what happened here. He had enough of it and he broke is exactly what the media wanted. It created a flurry of new stories which are really the same as the stories we saw before the conference. But now the story is at best Gattuso will be kept until the end of the season and then Napoli will move on. Perhaps we'll keep Gattuso long term if he achieves something big like winning the Europa League, but I think even winning the Coppa Italia and or qualifying for the Champions League might not be enough to save Gattuso's job, and given these comments, I'm not even sure that Gattuso himself will want to stay after this season. Now, I actually don't think he was slighting De Laurentiis. He did say he has great respect for him and that De Laurentiis has given him everything, Yes, he did say he didn't think the situation was handled well, which may rub De Laurentiis the wrong way, but at the same time, I think De Laurentiis might even appreciate Gattuso's honesty. I don't think we should be terribly surprised by Gattuso's comments, he's always been very open and honest in his conferences, and frankly, I don't blame him for feeling the way he does. I think any manager being treated the way he's been treated would feel uncomfortable. Even after winning two matches, granted against weaker clubs, all he's asked about is whether he's going to resign, which is absolutely ridiculous. In terms of how De Laurentiis handled the situation, I completely agree with Gattuso on that as well. The media started questioning Gattuso as early as the draw to Torino. Things really began to heat up after the loss to Spezia, which is fine, that's the media's job. But the club waited a full week after the loss to give Gattuso their vote of confidence. At that point, the rumors had spread beyond control. I tweeted about this earlier in the week as well. We are tied with Lazio on points and one point ahead of Atalanta, yet I don't hear any comments about Simone Inzaghi or Giampiero Gasperini being on the hot seat, and I don't see any media asking them if they're going to resign. 
Now, our friend Gaetano, who joined us on the first episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, pointed out that Napoli should not be compared to Lazio and Atalanta because we have higher expectations, and he's not wrong. We spent the better part of the last decade in second place, while those clubs only recently cracked the top four. Atalanta have done it for a couple of years now, and Lazio just did it last year. So I agree on that part. At the same time, Juventus are only two points clear of us, and when they were struggling early on, there were a lot of questions about whether Pirlo was the right man for the job, but nothing like what Gattuso is facing right now. Granted, Pirlo is a new coach and Juve are in somewhat of a rebuild year, but I think we sometimes forget that this is Gattuso's first full season in charge. Sure, we've had some disappointing results, but I agree with Gattuso when you play this many games and when you lose key players, that is going to happen sometimes. Yes, we tied Torino and we lost to Spezia and Hellas Verona. Milan are really the only side that hasn't lost to weaker clubs though, and even they drew Hellas Verona, Parma, and Genoa. They're in first though because they've won most of their matches against the other top clubs. Inter has tied Parma, they lost to Sampdoria, and they've tied Udinese. Juve tied Crotone, Hellas Verona, and Benevento, and they lost to Fiorentina. Roma also haven't dropped points to weaker clubs. Their issue is that they've dropped points in almost every match they've played against top clubs, so pretty much every team except for Milan is struggling. That's why Serie A is so competitive this year. Yes, I know if we didn't lose those points to those clubs, or even to Sassuolo, we'd be top of the table, but if Inter or Juve didn't drop points then they'd be top of the table too. The last thing I'll say is I'm getting the strong impression that the media has an agenda here. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it and the reality is that the media is just being the media because stories like these get lots of clicks. But we continue to see reports about Maurizio Sarri, Rafa Benitez, Max Allegri and so on. Sport Italia are reporting that De Laurentiis called Sarri after the loss to Hellas Verona to gauge his interest in a return to Napoli but that Sarri refused. And Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Rafa Benitez has the inside track to become the new manager this season. There are also rumors going around that De Laurentiis could bring Rafa back to be the new sporting director, but De Laurentiis addressed that in a tweet on Tuesday. He said he has no intention of showing Juntoli the door. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll check in on the top of the table. we'll take a look at how our main competitors did this round. Heading into the round we were sitting in 6th place, we were 9 points back of Milan and 7 points back of Inter. Roma were in 3rd, 3 points clear of us, and Juve and Atalanta were both 2 points ahead of us in 4th and 5th. Lazio were tied with us on 34 points and Hellas Verona and Sassuolo were both 4 points back of us. 
Sampdoria rounded out the top half of the table on 26 points. Let's start with the league leaders Milan, who opened the action on Saturday with what should have been an easy match, but was far from it. In the end, Milan managed a 2-1 win on goals from Ante Rebic and Frank Kessie. Bologna's only goal was scored by Andrea Poli. We'll start with the obvious, which is that Milan were awarded two more penalties. The first penalty was a bit of a controversial call. Mitchell Dykes put his hand on Rafael Leao's shoulder in the box, and the Portuguese international went to ground. A lot of people thought this was a soft call, but I personally had no issue with it. There are a lot of soft penalty calls these days, and I know it's a contact sport, I myself say that all the time, but you can't put your hand on a player's shoulder. Zlatan stepped up to take the penalty and was stopped by Lukas Skorupski, Unfortunately for Skorupski, Antti Rebic was first to the rebound and scored his second of the season. Skorupski was actually phenomenal in this match. Had it not been for him, Milan would have run away with this one. By my count, he made six big saves in this game, including a ridiculous double save on Ibrahimovic and Romagnoli just before the penalty was given. Milan's second goal was also from the penalty spot. There was no controversy on this call. Adama Sumaoto clearly handled the ball in the area trying to defend Zlatan. With Zlatan missing the first penalty, Kessie took the second. He didn't pick a corner, but Kessie had Skorupski going the wrong way, so Bologna fell behind 2-0. Credit to Bologna, though, they definitely held their own against the league leaders. They just struggled to find the back of the goal. Gijo Donnarumma was very good for Milan as well. He made a couple of big saves at the end of the first half, first on Nicola Sansone and then on Roberto Soriano. Sinisa Mihailovic brought in Andrea Poli and Rodrigo Palacio off the bench in the second half and both of them made an immediate impact. Bologna were all over Milan in the final quarter of the match. Poli scored Bologna's lone goal with his first touch after coming off the bench. That play started with Teo Hernandez conceding possession in the middle of the pitch. He had a bit of an off day for Milan. In the first half, he conceded possession to Ricardo Orsolini in his own half, which led to a scoring chance but the shot missed the target. Despite the onslaught, Milan did hang on for the win, but this performance reminded me of a comment that Zlatan made earlier in the season, which was that we needed to see how this team plays under pressure when it really matters. After conceding that goal to Poli, Milan looked nervous, they looked disjointed, overwhelmed, pick your adjective, but in the end, Milan were fortunate to get the three points. Even though they won, after a performance like this, I think a lot of people will continue to question whether Milan can stay atop the table for the entirety of the season. Inter were next on the docket. They crushed Benevento 4-0 on a Ricardo Improta own goal and goals from Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku. With Antonio Conte and Gabriele Oriella serving suspensions from Inter's last match against Udinese, Christian Stellini was in charge of the Inter bench, but with the way Benevento played, it really didn't matter who was on the bench for this one. This was a one-sided affair just about from start to finish. Christian Eriksen was rewarded for his goal in the Coppa Italia with a start in this match, and he looked really good. He was playing some excellent balls, including the cross that led to Inter's first goal. He also picked out Hakimi's run with a lovely ball over the top, but Hakimi's header was stopped. Had he squared the ball to Lukaku, he probably taps it in from in front of the goal. Eriksen nearly scored a goal of his own early in the second half, but his shot deflected off the bar and stayed out. Lautaro scored on the rebound, but he was in an offside position, so that goal didn't count. Speaking of Lautaro, he scored Inter's second goal, breaking his streak of six games without a goal. He's been very streaky this season, so we'll see if this goal wakes him up. For a while, it looked like he wasn't going to get his goal. He had a few chances in the first half where he made excellent plays around midfield to start the break, but his finish was just lacking. Lautaro also made a great play on Inter's third goal, 
Benevento tried to play the ball out of the back and Lautaro intercepted Lorenzo Montipo's pass up the middle. Lukaku pounced on the opportunity and fired past Montipo. Lukaku added a second less than 10 minutes later. Alexis Sanchez played a hard through ball to Lukaku at the top of the box and once again, he used a minimal number of touches to score the goal. He received the pass on his left foot and turned and fired in one motion to beat Montipo with his right foot. Lukaku ended up playing 80 minutes in this match because he suspended for Inter's first leg of the Coppa Italia against Juventus. He was eventually replaced by Andrea Pinamonti, who made a rare appearance for Inter. For Benevento, their struggles continue. They have one win, one draw, and four losses in their last six matches. Juventus closed the action on Saturday, beating Sampdoria 2-0 on goals from Federico Chiesa and Aaron Ramsey. The first half of this match reminded me a lot of the first meeting between these two teams earlier this season. Juve dominated the play, they made quick passes to keep the ball away from Sampdoria. The only difference was Juve didn't score as many goals, in fact they didn't create as many chances either. The first goal was really well worked, it started with Juan Cuadrado winning the long ball at around midfield. Cuadrado continues to show his worth particularly in the attack. I have no idea how this man was running with the same energy and determination in the 92nd minute as he was in the opening minute. Alvaro Morata played a quick 1-2 with Cristiano Ronaldo before cutting the ball back into the area. Chiesa timed his run perfectly and scored his 6th in the league and his 8th in all competitions. Even though the score was 1-0 for most of the match, Juve were in complete control. Sampdoria never really looked like a threat. Giorgio Chiellini had a vintage Chiellini performance. If he can stay healthy, then he clearly still has a lot to offer. The second half was fairly subdued. Wojtek Szczesny wasn't tested at all. Despite playing the second pass on both goals, Cristiano Ronaldo was pretty quiet in this one as well. This is usually the type of match where he pads his stats. He had an attempt in the first half that took a slight deflection and just barely missed over the bar, but other than that, his name wasn't called that often. Aaron Ramsey put the game away late in the second half on the counterattack. Ronaldo sprung Cuadrado on the right side and he squared for Ramsey to tap into the empty goal. So Juve won 2-0 with a very business-like performance. We're starting to see some of the tactics and style of play that Pirlo spoke about in his dissertation. Don't look now, but Juve are off to a great start to 2021. They've won 8 of their 9 games in all competitions, with the only slip-up being a 2-0 loss to Inter in Serie A. There were a couple of big games on Sunday. Roma beat Hellas Verona 3-1 on goals from Gianluca Mancini, Borja Mayoral, and Henrik Mkhitaryan. Abri Macaulay scored the lone goal for Verona. Roma made sure their squad lists were in order this time around. They lost their first meeting on the table after putting Amadou Diawara on the wrong squad list, so I'm sure they were extra careful this time. Marash Kumbula started on the bench against his former club, but he didn't have to wait long to get into the action. Chris Smalling pulled up in the 11th minute and was forced to leave the match. Roma scored all three of their goals in a 9 minute stretch in the first half, from the 20th minute to the 29th minute, and the game was pretty much over at that point. This wasn't the first time we've seen Roma win a game in the first half. They scored 3 in the first half against Parma, they scored 5 in the first half against Bologna, and they scored 3 in the first half against Crotone. Borja Mayoral was excellent once again, playing in place of Edin Dzeko who continues to sit out after his spat with Paulo Fonseca and amidst the speculation that he could be swapped for Inter's Alexis Sanchez. He won the corner kick that led to Roma's first goal. 
Marco Silvestri has been excellent this season, but I thought he could have done better on this goal. He hesitated in anticipation of someone getting a touch on Mancini's header, and when they didn't, Silvestri didn't have enough time to react. Mayoral assisted on the second goal after Jordan Vertu picked out his run on the left side of the box. Silvestri did well to push Mayoral out wide, but Mayoral had the presence of mind to pull back and find Mkhitaryan at the top of the box. Mkhitaryan fooled Silvestri who had scrambled back to the goal with a bit of an inside-out shot to the left side. To top it all off, Mayoral scored Roma's third, again from a corner kick. Silvestri punched the ball out to the top of the box where Lorenzo Pellegrini fired a shot on target. Silvestri wasn't able to push the ball to safety and Mayoral jumped on the rebound. That was his sixth in Serie A and his ninth in all competitions, so it's starting to look like Roma can manage just fine without Edin Dzeko. For the first hour or so of this match, Verona really struggled to create anything. Kevin Lasagna looked pretty much the same with his new club as he did with his former club. He has great pace, but he lacks quality on the ball. I saw some people commenting on how poor Verona looked against Roma compared to how good they looked against Napoli. I think that has more to do with the difference in how Verona's opponents played. One of our three keys to the Verona match was that Napoli needed to press high and we didn't do that. That gave Verona plenty of space to pass the ball and they picked apart our midfield. In this match, Roma pressed high and Verona often resorted to the long ball and when they did, they often conceded possession. When Verona had the ball in Roma's half, Roma were quick to pressure the ball and force mistakes. Ivan Juric made three subs around the 57th minute and that seemed to wake Verona up a little bit. Two of those subs linked up on Verona's goal. Daniel Bassa played a gorgeous cross to Abri McCauley at the back post and the Gambian headed in his first of the season. After that Verona were the better side for the balance of the match but it may have just appeared that way because Roma were content to sit back and protect the lead. Verona didn't create many quality opportunities after that. The other big game on Sunday was Lazio against Atalanta in a rematch from their high scoring Coppa Italia quarterfinal earlier in the week. Lazio lost the Coppa Italia match but they won this one 3-1 on goals from Adam Marusic, Joaquin Correa and Verat Muriki. Mario Pasalic scored the long goal for Atalanta. Atalanta played this game without a number of regulars in their squad including both wingbacks Hans Hattabor and Robin Gosens, Joachim Meili and Matteo Ruggeri started in their places. Raymond Freuler and Christian Romero were also not available. Meanwhile Luis Alberto returned for Lazio after recovering from his appendectomy. This was expected to be the match of the week but it didn't live up to expectations because Atalanta really didn't show up. Like Napoli, Atalanta have been inconsistent this season. They too have games like this one where they just don't seem that engaged. You can really see the effects of those players that were missing. Atalanta rely heavily on their wingbacks and without them there was a real lack of creativity and width. We saw Atalanta struggle earlier in the season with Froehler out injured and we saw it again in this match. There was very little movement in the midfield and as the game wore on they seemed to be giving up especially after Lazio's second goal. I saw a lot of players walking around in the second half. Credit to Lazio though, once again Simone Inzaghi prepared his team well. Lazio took less than 3 minutes to open the scoring. Adam Marusic scored his first goal in nearly a year with a bending shot from outside the box toward the back post. Pierluigi Golini may have seen the shot a bit late with the sun glaring in his eyes. But Lazio were by no means lucky to win this match, they fully deserved the 3 points. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic was excellent once again, he came close to scoring on a few occasions, he had a free kick in the 20th minute narrowly missed the target, and then about 10 minutes later Ciro Immobile played a looping cross into the area and Milinkovic-Savic managed to get quite a bit of power on the header. Golini just barely got a hand on the shot but it was enough to touch the shot off the upright and out. 
Immobile didn't score, but he still had a positive contribution, particularly on Lazio's second goal. He won a header at midfield over Brad Jim City and Jose Luis Palomino at midfield. With both center backs closing in on Immobile, Joaquin Correa was free to the goal. It looked like his touch to get around Golini was heavy, but he recovered well to score his second goal of the season. That back line really struggled to stop Lazio in this one. Lazio nearly scored a third in the 66th minute after Milinkovic-Savic sent Manuel Lazzari through. The winger was too quick to be caught, but took one too many touches which allowed Golini to close the angle and make the save. Even at their worst, Atalanta are never out of a match and they fought back into this one. Luis Muriel dribbled through the Lazio back line and fired with his left foot. The shot hit the upright but Mario Pazilic followed up on the play to score in his first game back after missing Atalanta's last 10 matches with a groin injury. Inzaghi immediately made three substitutions. Escalante came on for Lucas Leva, Muriki came on for Immobile, and Andreas Pereira came on for Joaquin Correa. Right away, they linked up to score Lazio's third. Once again, this play started with Milinkovic Savic, who played a great long ball to Pereira. For some reason, Golini stayed on his line, which gave Pereira time to square to Muriki for the tap in and the win. So Lazio got a huge win over a club they're competing with for a top four spot. That's their fifth consecutive win in Serie A, including matches against some tough opponents in Roma, Sassuolo, and Atalanta. So with Milan, Inter, Roma, Juve, and Lazio all winning, the table didn't change too much, at least not at the top. We moved back ahead of Atalanta, who actually dropped to seventh place behind Lazio. We remained three points back of Roma with a game in hand, and two points back of Juventus. Lazio are tied with us on 37 points, with Verona and Sassuolo both dropping points. The gap between the top 7 teams and the middle of the table is beginning to widen. Sassuolo, who got a last-minute draw to Cagliari in what was actually a very entertaining match, are now 5 points behind Atalanta in 8th place. That will do for Part 2. In Part 3, we'll preview our Coppa Italia semi-final first leg match against Atalanta. final part we'll do a quick preview of our match on Wednesday against Atalanta. This will be the ninth meeting between these two clubs in the Coppa Italia dating back to 1973. Six of those previous eight matches were played in Napoli. We have three wins, one draw, and two losses in those matches. Neither of these teams have been terribly consistent this season. Atalanta's loss to Lazio at the weekend was their first loss after going undefeated in their previous 10 matches. However, during that undefeated stretch, they drew four games, and those draws weren't exactly against the toughest opponents. Their first was a draw to Juve, so that's fine, but after that, they tied Bologna, Genoa, and Udinese. Of course, we've had our fair share of struggles as well. We have four losses and a draw in our last nine Serie A matches, and we lost the Supercoppa. 
This is the second meeting between these clubs this season. Napoli won the first meeting 4-1, but both of these clubs looked very different in that match. Napoli were without Lorenzo Insigne, who was recovering from a muscle injury, and Piotr Zielinski and Eli Felmas were both positive for COVID. We lined up in the 4-2-3-1 with Tiamoy, Bakayoko, and Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. Chucky Lozano played on the left wing, Matteo Politano played on the right wing, and Dries Mertens played in the 10th spot behind Victor Osman. In all likelihood, the only player from that front six to start in this match will be Chucky Lozano, and he won't be on the left wing. For Atalanta, Marco Sportiello started in goal. He hasn't played in Atalanta's last 10 matches. Raymond Freuler and Hans Hattabor started on the bench, and Papu Gomez started as the trequartista. Josip Ilicic was also playing in his first game since missing the end of last season for personal reasons. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Atalanta will line up in either a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1. I'm going to go with the latter. Pierluigi Golini will start in goal. Jose Luis Palomino picked up a red card in Atalanta's Coppa Italia quarterfinal against Lazio. But Giampiero Gasperini confirmed in his pre-match conference that Christian Romero will be back for this match after missing their match against Lazio in Serie A. Therefore, I think we'll see Baratjim City start in the middle of the centre-back trio, with Romero on his left and Rafael Toloi on his right. Robin Gosens is also expected to return for this match, so he'll play at left wing back, and with Hatabor still out, Joachim Meili probably starts at right wing back. I think we'll see Remo Freuler and Martin Darun start in the center of the midfield, though I wouldn't be surprised to see Matteo Piscina start there as well. Finally, I think Josip Ilicic and Ruslan Malinovsky will start in the front trident behind Duvan Zapata. For Napoli, Gattuso will likely line up in the 4-3-3 once again, and I think we'll see our best 11 once again. I was tempted to predict that Gattuso might go back to the 4-2-3-1, as that's what we played when we beat Atalanta last time, but Osimhen is still not 100%, and therefore the 4-3-3 is more likely. I'm not expecting to see many changes to the lineup we fielded against Parma. In fact, I'm expecting only one change. David Ospina will likely start in goal, as he seems to be the preferred option in bigger matches. Kostas Manolas has played two matches in a row, which would normally suggest that maybe Nikola Maksimovic or Amir Rachmani might get some time, but Manolas wasn't exactly busy in those two matches against Spezia and Parma, so I'll give him another start here alongside Kaladu Koulibaly. Likewise, as much as I would like to see Diego Dema get a break, I don't think this is the place to rest him, at least not unless we line up in the 4-2-3-1. Piotr Zielinski and Elif Almas should complete the midfield trio, up top, we should see Lorenzo Insigne on the left, Chucky Lozano on the right, and Andrea Petania at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is not to expect another blowout. As I mentioned at the top of this preview, these two sides will look very different from the first meeting earlier this season. That said, you can be sure that Atalanta will have that game on their mind and will be seeking revenge. Aside from their 5-0 loss to Liverpool in the Champions League, the loss to Napoli was Atalanta's worst of the season and it was certainly their worst loss in Serie A. They'll also look to atone for their poor performance against Lazio and Serie A on the weekend that will certainly be helped by the return of Robin Gosens and Christian Romero. Luis Muriel was also doubtful for this match, but it sounds like he will be fit to play. We'll need our squad to be focused on this match alone, and from here on out, they may as well play every match like they're playing for Gattuso's job. 
Our second key to the match is we need to attack the left side of the field. I'm sure we haven't seen the best of Jochen Meili yet, but at the moment I think he's definitely a downgrade from Hans Hattabor. If I were Gattuso, I might even consider benching Lorenzo Insigne in order to put Lozano and his pace on the left side of the field. With Lozano on the left, Politano could start on the right, which is the same winger setup that we had in our previous meeting. I doubt Gattuso does that though. I also wouldn't be shocked to see Lozano start at striker with Politano on the right and Petania on the bench. That too would give us the pace we need to beat Atalanta's back line. Then of course we have Victor Osimhen on the bench. He didn't feature against Parma but that was because the game was close and Gattuso opted to protect the lead. But Osimhen was the key to our win over Atalanta last time so I think he could be a useful option off the bench particularly if we fall behind. Our third key to the match is we should look to strike on the counterattack. We tend to have more success against teams that give us the space to play and with the way Atalanta get forward they definitely are one of those teams. That is the very reason we beat them last time and in fact pretty much all of our wins where we've scored in bundles have come against teams that give us space to play. It's the teams that drop into the low block that we really struggle to break down. If we start Lozano on the right wing, I think we need to get the ball to him early and often. I think he can take advantage of Atalanta's three-man back line, particularly on the counter-attack when Robin Gosens is not back there to help defend. I'm really hoping that Romero starts on the left side of the back line because I think Lozano can have a feast against him. Romero plays with Grinta, but he's also not the smartest player in the world, so I would instruct Lozano to go right at him. Our friend Gianluca shared a post from the official Solo Napoli Calcio Instagram page showing that Lozano has drawn 23 yellow cards in the 20 matches we've played this season. I think he can definitely draw a yellow on Romero, perhaps even two. Even if he only draws one, that will force Romero to play a bit more carefully and will make him easier to beat. The head official for this match is Michael Fabri. Fabri has refereed 6 Napoli matches since 2017 including our recent defeat to Hellas Verona. We have only 2 wins, 3 draws and a loss in those 6 matches. His assistants are Sergio Ranghetti and Davide Imperiale. The 4th official is Maurizio Mariani and Luca Banti is on the VAR assisted by Alessandro Giallatini. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. I'll give both of the Napoli goals to Chucky Lozano and I'll give Josip Ilicic and Duvan Zapata one goal each for Atalanta. I think this will be an entertaining match between two clubs who are both highly motivated to win. Of course Napoli will be playing for Gattuso and certainly reaching the final of the Coppa Italia and definitely winning the Coppa Italia will help Gattuso's cause. I posted a poll on Twitter asking what should be the highest priority, Coppa Italia or the Europa League or if we should try to win both. I probably could have worded the question better because when both got nearly half of the votes but what I found very interesting is that 37% of the voters said Europa League and only 17% picked the Coppa Italia even though we are only 3 matches away from winning our second consecutive cup. Atalanta will be looking to get back into the win column after a dreadful performance against Lazio and they'll also be looking to set themselves up to get back into the final. They reached the final in the 2018-19 campaign but lost to Lazio. Their last final prior to that was in 1987 where they actually lost to us 4-0 over two legs. The only other final Atalanta have reached was in 1963 when they beat Torino 3-1. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. 
As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll also be recording our next episode of the Fortsanopoli Worldwide Series after the Atalanta game, so keep an eye out for that. And we'll have our regular episode later in the week to get you up to speed on the latest news and on our Femenile and Primavera teams, as well as to preview our next match against Genoa. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 